Chapter Eleven of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Eleven. Shirley was awake early that morning, almost too excited to sleep, but fitfully even through the night. Now that the thing was done and they were actually moved into a barn, she began to have all sorts of fears and compunctions concerning it. She seemed to see her delicate mother shrink as from a blow when she first learned that they had come to this. Try as she would to bring back all the sensible philosophy that had caused her to enter into this affair in the first place, she simply could not feel anything but trouble. She longed to rush into her mother's room, tell her all about it, and get the dreaded episode over. But anyhow, it was inevitable now. They were moved. They had barely enough money to pay the cartage and get things started before next payday. There was nothing for it but to take her mother there, even if she did shrink from the idea. Of course, mother had always been sensible and all that, but somehow the burden of the great responsibility of decision rested so heavily upon her young shoulders that morning that it seemed as if she could no longer bear the strain. They still had a good fire in the kitchen range, and Shirley hastened to the kitchen, prepared a delicate piece of toast, a poached egg, a cup of tea, and took it to her mother's room, tiptoeing lightly, lest she still slept. But the mother was awake and glad to see her. She had been awake since the first streak of dawn had crept into the little back window. She had the look of one who was girded for the worst. But when she saw her daughter's face, the mother in her triumphed over the woman. "'What's the trouble, little girl? Has something happened?' The tenderness in her voice was the last straw that broke Shirley's self-control. The tears suddenly sprang into her eyes, and her lip trembled. "'Oh, mother!' she wailed, setting the tray down quickly on a box, and fumbling for her handkerchief. "'I'm so worried. I'm so afraid you won't like what we've done. And then, what shall we do?' "'I shall like it,' said mother with instant determination. "'Don't for a minute think of anything else.' Having done something irrevocably, never look back and think you might have done something better. You did the best you could, or you thought you did anyway, and there didn't seem to be anything else at the time. So now just consider it was the very best thing in the world, and don't go to fretting about it. There'll be something nice about it, I'm sure, and goodness knows we've had enough unpleasant things here, so we needn't expect beds of roses. We are just going to make it nice, little girl. Remember that. We are going to like it. There's a tree there, you say. So when we find things we don't like, we'll just go out and look up at our tree and say, We've got you, anyway, and we're glad of it. You blessed little mother, laughed Shirley, wiping her tears away. I just believe you will like it, maybe, after all, though I've had a lot of compunctions all night. I wondered if maybe I oughtn't to have told you all about it, only I knew you couldn't really judge at all until you had seen it yourself, and we wanted to surprise you. Well, I'm determined to be surprised, said the brave little woman, so don't you worry. We're going to have a grand good time today. Now run along. It's almost time for your car, and you haven't had any breakfast yet. Shirley kissed her mother, and went smiling down to eat her breakfast and hurry away to the office. There was a big rush of work at the office, or Shirley would have asked for a half-holiday. But she did not dare endanger her position by making a request at so busy a season. She was glad that the next day was Sunday, and they would have a whole day to themselves in the new home, before she would have to hurry away to the office again. It would serve to make it seem less lonely for her mother, having them all home that first day. 
She meant to work fast today and get all the letters written before five, if possible. Then she would have time to get home a few minutes before Graham arrived with his car and see that her mother was all comfortably ready. It was a good deal to put upon Carol to look after everything. It wasn't as if they had neighbors to help out a little, for they were the very last tenants in the doomed block to leave. All the others had gone two or three weeks before. Thinking over again all the many details for the day, Shirley walked down to the office through the sunshine. It was growing warm weather, and her coat felt oppressive already. She was so thankful that her mother would not have to sleep in those breathless rooms after the heat began. The doctor had said that her mother needed rest and air and plenty of sunshine more than anything else. She would at least have those at the barn, and what did other things matter, after all? Mother was game. Mother wouldn't let herself feel badly over such a silly thing. They certainly were going to be more comfortable than they had been for several years. Think of that wonderful electric light, and clear, cold water from the spring. Oh, it was great, and a little thrill of ecstasy passed over her, the first she had let herself feel since she had taken the great responsibility of transplanting her family to a barn. After all, the day passed very quickly, and when, at half-past four, the telephone bell rang, and Graham's voice announced that he would be down at the street door waiting for her in half an hour, that she needn't hurry, he would wait till she was ready. Her heart gave a little jump of joy. It was as if school was out, and she was going on a real picnic like other girls. How nice of him! How perfectly lovely of him! And yet, there hadn't been anything but the nicest friendliness in his voice, such as any kindly disposed landlord might use if he chose. Nothing that she need feel uncomfortable about. At least there was the relief that after tonight, Mother would know all about it, and if she didn't approve, Shirley could decline any further kindness, of course. And now she was just going to take Mother's advice and forget everything but the pleasant part. At home, Carol and Harley bustled about in the empty house like two excited bumblebees, washing up the few dishes, putting in an open box everything that had been left out for their last night's sleeping, getting lunch, and making Mother take a nap. Doris, vibrating between her mother's room and downstairs, kept singing over to herself, We go into country, we go into country, see birdies and twees and walk on green grass. After lunch was over and the dishes were put carefully into the big box between comfortables and blankets, Carol helped her mother to dress and then made her lie down and take a good long nap with Doris asleep by her side. After that, Carol and Harley tiptoed down to the bare kitchen and sat on a box side by side to converse. Gee, ain't you tired, Carol? said the boy, pushing his hair back from his hot face. Gee, don't it seem funny we aren't coming back here any more? It kind of gets my goat I shan't see the fellow so often, but it'll be great to ask him to see us sometimes. Say, do you suppose we really can keep chickens? Sure, said Carol convincingly. I asked Mr. Graham if we might. George said we ought to. He was such a good scout. You'd want to be sure he'd like it. And he said, sure, it would be great. He'd like to come out and see them sometimes. He said he used to keep chickens himself when he was a kid, and he shouldn't wonder if they had a few too many at their place they could spare to start with. He told me he'd look it up and see, soon's we got settled. Gee, he's a peach, isn't he? Say, has he got a case on Cheryl? I don't know, said the girl thoughtfully. Maybe he has, but he doesn't know it yet, I guess. But anyhow, you must promise me you will never breathe such a word. Why, Shirley would just bust right up if you did. I said a little something to her like that once. It wasn't much, 
only just that he was awfully nice and i guess he liked her by the way he looked at her and she just fairly froze you know the way her eyes get when she's sore at us and she said i must never never even think anything like that or she would give the place right up and get a few rooms down on south street and stay in the city all summer she said mr graham was a gentleman and she was only a working girl and it would be a disgrace for her to accept any favors from him except what she could pay for and an insult for him to offer them because she was only a working girl and he was a gentleman you know hm growled holly i guess our sister's as good as he is any day of course snapped carol but then he might not think so well if he don't he can go to thunder bristled harley wrathfully i'm not going to have him looking down on shirley she's as good as his baby doll sister with her pink cheeks and her little white hands and her high heels and ears any day she's a nut she is harley you start declared carol getting wrathful elizabeth's a dear and you're not going to talk about her that way just because she's pretty and doesn't have to work well you said her brother looked down on our sister declared harley i did not i only said he might i only meant that was the way some gentlemen would i only said people kind of expect gentlemen to do that not if they're real gentlemen they won't and anyhow he won't if i find him looking down on my sister shirley i'll punch his face for him yes i will i'm not afraid george and i could beat the stuffing out of him and we will if he doesn't need looking down stunts and don't you forget it well i'm sure he doesn't said carol pacifically trying to put a soothing sound into her voice as wise elder sisters learn to do you see if he did look down on her shirley would know it right away she'd know it nobody would have to tell her she'd see it in his voice and smile and everything and if he had she wouldn't have gone out there to live in the place he owns you know so i guess you can trust shirley i think he's been just dandy fixing up that fireplace and stairs and lights and water and everything well maybe said harley grudgingly say this is slow i'm going out to meet the fellows when they come from school and see what the score of the game is gee i wish i could play to-day you'll be sure to come back in time asked carol anxiously sure you don't suppose i'd miss going out in that car do you said the brother contemptuously not on your tim type well maybe there won't be room for you maybe elizabeth'll come along and you'll have to go in the trolley with george no chance declared the boy mr graham said i should ride with him in the front seat and he looks like a man that kept his word you see you know he's a gentleman triumphed carol well i think you better stay here with me you'll forget and be late and make a mess waiting for you no i won't said the restless boy i can't be bothered sticking round this dump all afternoon and harley seized his cap and disappeared with a whoop round the corner after he was gone carol found she was tired out herself and curling up on a mattress that was lying ready for the cartman was soon asleep it was so that harley found her when he hurried back an hour later a trifle anxious it must be confessed lest he had stayed too long he stirred up the small household noisily and in no time had carol in a panic brewing the cup of tea that was to give her mother the strength to take the journey dressing doris smoothing her own hair putting the last things into bags and baskets and boxes and directing the cartman who arrived half an hour sooner than he promised carol was quite a little woman going from one thing to another and taking the place of everybody meantime elizabeth graham and her brother had been spending the afternoon in business of their own it was elizabeth who had suggested it and her brother saw no reason why she should not carry out her plan and why he should not help her she came down in the car after lunch 
the chauffeur driving her, a great basket of cut and potted flowers from the home conservatory in the tonneau beside her, carefully wrapped in wax paper. She stopped at the office for her brother, and together they went about to several shops, giving orders and making purchases. When they had finished, they drove out to Glenside to unpack their bundles and baskets. Graham left Elizabeth with the old servant to help her, and drove rapidly back to his office where he telephoned to Shirley. Certainly Elizabeth had never had such fun in her life. She scarcely knew which delightful thing to do first, and she had only about two hours to complete her arrangements before the family would arrive. She decided to decorate first, and the great hamper of flowers was forthwith brought into the barn, and the chauffeur set to work twining ropes and sprays of similax and asparagus fern over doorways and pictures, and training it like a vine about the stone chimney. Then came the flowers, pots of tall, starry lilies, great, heavy-headed, exquisite-breathed roses, pink, white, yellow, and crimson, daffodils and sweet peas, with quantities of sweet violets in the bottom of the basket. Elizabeth, with deft fingers, selected the flowers skillfully, putting pots of lilies on the window-sills, massing a quantity of pink roses in a dull gray jar she found among the kitchen things, that looked to the initiated, amazingly, as though it might have once been part of a water-filter, but it suited the pink roses wonderfully. The tall vases on the bookcase, each side of the fireplace, held daffodils. Sweet peas were glowing in small vases, in glasses and bowls, and violets and saucers filled the air with fragrance. White and yellow roses were on the dining table, and three exquisite tall crimson rosebuds glowed in a slender glass vase Elizabeth had brought with her. This she placed in Mrs. Hollister's room on the little stand that she judged would be placed beside the bed when the bed arrived. The flowers certainly did give an atmosphere to the place in more senses than one, and the girl was delighted and fluttered from one spot to another, changing the position of a vase or a bowl, and then standing off to get the effect. "'Now bring me the big bundle, Jenkins, please,' she said at length when she was satisfied with the effect. "'Oh, and the little long box!' Be careful, it is broken at one end, and the screws may fall out. Jenkins was soon back with the things. Now you get the rods put up at the windows, Jenkins, while I get out the curtains. And she untied the big bundle with eager fingers. Jenkins was adaptable, and the rods were simple affairs. He was soon at work, and Elizabeth ran the rods into the curtains. They were not elegant curtains. Graham had insisted that she should get nothing elaborate, nothing that would be out of keeping with the simplicity. They were soft and straight and creamy, with a frost-like pattern rambling over them in threads of the same, illuminated here and there with a single rose and a leaf in color. There was something cheerful and spring-like to them, and yet they looked exceedingly plain and suitable, no ruffles or trimming of any kind, just hems. To Elizabeth's mind they had been very cheap. Shirley would have exclaimed over their beauty wistfully and turned from them with a gasp when she heard their price. They were one of those quiet, fitting things that cost without flaunting it. They transformed the room into a dream. "'Oh, isn't it beautiful!' exclaimed Elizabeth, standing back to look as the first curtain went up. "'Yes, miss. It's very stunning, miss,' said the man, working away with goodwill in his face. When the curtains were all up, Elizabeth pinned one of her cards to the curtain nearest the front door, inscribed, "'With love,' from Elizabeth. Then, in a panic, she looked at her watch. "'Oh, Jenkins, it's almost six o'clock!' she cried in dismay. "'They might get here by half-past, perhaps. We must hurry. Bring the other things in quick now, please.' So Jenkins brought them in. 
bundles and bags and boxes, an ice-cream freezer, and last of all, the cooking outfit belonging to their touring car. Now, you get the hot things ready, Jenkins, while I fix the table, directed the girl. Jenkins, well-trained in such things, went to work, opening cans and starting his chafing-dish fire. Elizabeth, with eager fingers, opened her parcels. A great platter of delicious triangular chicken sandwiches, a dish of fruit and nut salad, surrounded by crisp lettuce leaves, a plate of delicate rolls, cream puffs, chocolate eclairs, macaroons, a coconut pie, things she liked herself, and then, because she knew no feast without them, there were olives, salted almonds, and bonbons, as a matter of course. Delicious odors from the kitchen end of the room began to fill the air. Jenkins was heating a pail of rich soup, chicken with rice and gumbo, from one of the best caterers in the city. He was making rich cocoa to be eaten with whipped cream that Elizabeth was pouring into a glass pitcher. The pitcher came from the ten-cent store, if she had only known it. Jenkins was cooking canned peas and heating lovely little brown potato croquettes. The ice cream freezer was out in full sight, where they could never miss it. Everything was ready now. Jenkins, you better light up that queer stove of theirs now, if you're sure you know how. She said it was just like lamp, the way it worked. And put those things in the oven to keep warm. Then we'll pack up our things and hide them out in the grass where they can't see, and get them in the car when they get out. Hurry, for they'll be here very soon now, I think. Elizabeth stuck a card in the middle of the rose bowl that said in pretty letters, Welcome Home, stood back a minute to see how everything looked, and then flooded to the door to watch for the car. End of chapter 11